Turn to Proverbs chapter 31 this morning, but not for the reason you think. We're going to give Paul the week off. Proverbs 31. I know as soon as I say, over to your right, as soon as I say Proverbs, a lot of my sisters flinch. Because if you've been walking with the Lord for five minutes, you know Mother's Day comes around. You go to a women's study. You go to a women's retreat. And an awful lot of the time, Proverbs 31 is there waiting for you. Which can be a blessing because Proverbs 31 is part of the Word of God and the Word of God is a blessing. But if it's not handled well, and this is most of God's Word, if it's not handled well, if it's not presented with some measure of sensitivity, it can just end up being mean. And Proverbs 31 can end up being mean. Let's be honest. We already expect our wives and mothers to be superhuman, to be wonder women, Hashtag Team DC. So to reward them, we send them to a women's retreat or to a study or we get them a book or we invite them to the church on Mother's Day to hear Proverbs 31 taught. We're telling them, hey, last year you killed it. You were great, but let's set the bar even higher. I mean, last year was great, but let's be honest, you can do better. So we believe in you. We're counting on you. Look at Proverbs 31. Be like her. And I know that's no one's intention. But, but there's what we intend, and then there's the effect that we have. There's what we're trying to say and what other people hear. And I know when some ladies hear Proverbs 31, what they hear is condemnation. You're doing a lot, but you're not doing enough. So why, you're asking yourselves, why are we turning them there, Patrick? Because <laughs> this morning I want to explore a different angle, a different, a different take on, on these 21 verses, one that maybe you haven't considered, one, shockingly, that's applicable to men and women. We'll take some of the load off of the ladies this morning. Guys, it's, it's an opportunity to pick up some of what they've been weighed down with all these years. We're going to start off with a quick run-through, just to refresh us or reorient us to what's here, to what people are talking about when they say Proverbs 31 woman, and then we'll circle back around. But verse 10, this is, this is where the good part starts. Who can find a virtuous wife? That's the subject of the passage. Virtuous, capable, diligent, good, godly. Who can find such a woman? She's an ideal. She's a role model. She's something that many aspire to but few achieve. Her value, verse 11, is far above rubies. Value above measure. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he'll have no lack of gain. She's characterized by honesty, fidelity, chastity. Her husband doesn't have to worry about her, what she's doing, what, what, how she's spending her time, how she's spending her money. She does him good and not evil, verse 12, all the days of her life, because her best efforts are always directed to strengthening him, to building him up. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She doesn't worry about getting her hands dirty. She doesn't mind it, and she doesn't require a bunch of store-bought niceties. She would rather make something better, cheaper herself. She's like the merchant ships, verse 14, brings her food from afar. What matters to her is quality. It doesn't matter where she has to go to get it. She also rises while it's yet night, verse 15, provides food for her household, a portion for her maidservants. She cares about others, sacrifices sleep to take care of others. 
She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. So she's not only a homemaker, she's an entrepreneur who doesn't spend her earnings on herself. She reinvests it, reinvests her earnings carefully. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Again, this theme of building, building up others, building up herself so that she can take care of others and avoids things which might weaken her. She perceives that her merchandise is good, the things that she makes, and her lamp does not go out by night. This implies a home business. She's, she's making fabric. She's making finished goods with wool and flax. She's excited about what she's doing, working late into the night, taking pride in her work. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. Her hand holds the spindle. She first takes the wool and flax, spins it into yarn and thread, and then turns the yard and thread into finished goods, some for her family, others to the marketplace. But she also cares about those less fortunate. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hand to the needy. The, the, those who are poor just around her and those needy individuals in her life specifically. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. That's weird. It's weird because why is it snowing in Israel? Sometimes it does. There was one day, it was 100 years ago, but there was a day that Jerusalem got 17 inches of snow in one day. So it happens rarely, but when it happens, what good is it to be clothed in scarlet? Some have suggested, well, snow is winter, winter is cold, scarlet absorbs the heat of the sun, and it helps keep you warm. I think that's a, probably a bad translation, because the word translated scarlet literally means doubled. Idiomatically, it can mean double dyed. So to dye twice to get a deep, rich color like scarlet. But doubled could also be double thickness. This could be lined or layered clothing, which makes a little bit more sense in winter. But we're going to come back to that. Verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple, purple the color of royalty. So she's of the upper class. Color, style, quality of materials reflected that. She makes tapestries for herself and, and also for the marketplace. Her husband is known in the gates, verse 23, when he sits among the elders of the land. So her husband is a big deal, but she deserves some of the credit, either because she does such a good job of taking care of the home front that he can direct his full attention to affairs of business or state, whatever his gig is, or the other way to read it is that she deserves credit because she's contributing to his reputation. And I can relate with that. She's making him look good. A lot of, I rub people the wrong way. I'm a big, loud guy, and, 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 and some people have a hard time getting next to me, but no one doesn't like Anne. So some people, maybe you're among them, look at Anne and say, okay, she likes him. I don't get it. But if she likes him and I like her, maybe I should look harder to see what it is that she's seeing. And I've benefited from that. She makes linen garments and sells them, verse 24, and supplies sashes for the merchants, maybe even the merchant ships, back in verse 14. Either way, she's not selling stuff on the corner, out the back of a truck. She's, she's bringing finished goods to market, maybe even exporting them. 
Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come because she's never going to be embarrassed by anything that she's sold or anything that she's said or anything that she's done. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She speaks the truth in love. She not only knows the right answer, she knows the right way to express it so people can receive it. She watches over the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Notice she doesn't need to work for her bread. She's well off. She's well to do. But work is her bread. And, and besides, she knows the danger of laziness. She doesn't allow herself to fall into that trap. She doesn't allow her children or the servants of the household to fall into that trap. Her, her children rise up and call her blessed. They don't resent working. They come to value it. And, and not her children only. Verse 28, her husband also. And he praises her. He never refers to her as the old ball and chain. He always defends her, esteems her, speaks highly of her, not just when she's in the room, but when she's out of the room. He always gives credit to her. Many daughters have done well, verse 29, but you excel them all. You're better than all of them. And then we come to a final word which is more like the rest of the Proverbs that we see collected in this book. What we've just read, this passage, is kind of an outlier, but it wraps up in a very familiar-sounding couplet. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's who we've been talking about, right? A woman who fears the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's wisdom from the Lord that allows this woman to be and do and accomplish everything we just read about. So verse 31, let her share in the reward. We wouldn't be where we were if it wasn't for her. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Make sure that she enjoys the same blessing with which she's blessing us. That was really fast. By design, because that wasn't intended to be an in-depth study. Just a quick pass to get us oriented in case we haven't been in Proverbs 31 for a while. There's a lot more depth, there's a lot more nuance that I just skimmed right over. But I want to circle back because I think that there's another way of reading this, a different angle to look at this that maybe you haven't thought of before. But it's one that I, it, it jumps off the page at me as soon as I go to verse 10. Rewind with me, scroll back up. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? Let me be clear, before, before we start the second lap, I'm not disputing the plain reading of Proverbs 31 that we just read together. I, I think it is just what it appears to be, an exhortation to wives and mothers. I'm not saying, ladies, all of the retreats you've ever been to were wrong. No, I, 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 think, they're, I think they're fine. But this morning I want to suggest not so much a new interpretation as a new application. A different way, not to read and understand the text, but perhaps to apply the text to our lives, in addition to the obvious. Verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. Now, here's the thing. I read this, I think ruby, and I go to pearl. And I do that for a very personal reason. I had a grandmother, Pearl, who had a twin sister named Ruby. True story. But because, because that's me, I read her worth as far above rubies, and I go Matthew 13. I say, wow, another way of saying the same thing is that she's a pearl of great price. She's a pearl of great price. Who is the pearl of great price? Raise your hand if you're the pearl of great price. Yeah, the church is. 
Matthew 13, one of the kingdom parables, a merchant is seeking beautiful pearls, finds an incredibly perfect, expensive, exquisite specimen, just has to have it, sells everything that he owns to buy it. What does that speak of? It speaks of Jesus laying down his life to redeem us. It speaks of Jesus purchasing our salvation and making us his bride. Let me do that again, because if, if, we, if we don't get this, everything that comes later isn't going to make sense. Go with me on this. We're a pearl of great price. That's not controversial. That, that, Jesus says so in Matthew 13. We're precious in God's eyes. And Jesus bought us. He purchased us. He redeemed us, the, this pearl of great price. And because he did, we are, we get to be, the bride of Christ. If that's a new idea, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, Revelation 19, 7 and 8 are, are good places to start. We're the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 22, Ephesians 19, 7 will get you going on that idea. But with those thoughts in mind, couldn't we read Proverbs 31 not just as the description of an ideal wife, but also as an exhortation to you and me who are the bride of Christ. Couldn't this not only be a description of the virtuous wife, but also the virtuous church? If you're not sure, let me, let me come in from a couple angles. If you're not sure, look again at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. I didn't do this on purpose, but we were... In Hosea 2.9, just last Wednesday, those of you who are with me, remember we read that wool and flax were gifts that God gave his wife Israel to, 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 to seal his covenant relationship with her. We're the bride of Christ. Israel is the wife of Yahweh. And that's been a main theme in our study in Isaiah these past several Wednesdays. So is there a parallel there? Wednesday night folks are saying, that is so cool. And some of you are saying, I'm not sure I'm tracking. Okay, either that works for you or if it doesn't. If it doesn't, let me come, let me come at it from yet another direction. Go down to verse 22. She's wearing purple. Appropriate for a king, appropriate for a bride of a king. What else is she wearing? She's wearing linen. Purple and linen in the same place should make us say, hmm, that's interesting. Revelation 19.8 what do we see the church, the bride of Christ, wearing to her wedding? What do we show up dressed in at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is King Jesus, and his wife, the church, has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in, you know this, fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the precious, uh, I'm sorry, the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, it's possible I'm making too much out of too little. I do that sometimes. But I've been fascinated for a while by the idea that these verses in Proverbs 31 are not just an exhortation to my wife or all wives. They're not just a challenge to my bride and all brides, but a challenge to you and I together as the bride of Christ. Application, not interpretation. 
I don't think that that's what the, the author of Proverbs 31 had in mind when he put pen to paper. But the Holy Spirit is a lot of times doing more than one thing at once. Suspend your disbelief and go with me on this for, the, for, for a bit and see if there might be something here for us. See if there, I mean, hold it in an open hand, sure. Be Bereans, but, but let's see if there's something waiting here for us. Who can find a virtuous wife, we read for the third time, for her worth is far above rubies. And why is that if, if, if the wife is you and me? Because our worth is in Christ. Jesus saw us that way and gave everything to purchase us. And, and, and we look past that, and we find our worth, we find our value in such, such temporal things, jobs and college degrees and relationships and houses and children and ministries. And not that they're not important, but, but even all piled together, they don't come close, they don't remotely compare to the worth that we have in Jesus, the worth that we've received from Jesus, who we are in Jesus. We're precious in his eyes. We're the pearl of great price. Nothing we do, nothing we accomplish, nothing we achieve, no recognition we receive can compare to the worth we have simply by waking up in him. Do we get that? And, and sadly, so much of the world doesn't begin to get it. Precious can also be translated scarce, because scarce things are often precious. And we know that's true. Salvation is scarce. Narrow is the gate, right? Not many, mighty. Christ's death was effectual for all of us, but so few lay hold of that. But even for those of us who do, even for those of us who pass through that gate, do we understand who we are on this side of the cross? Do we see ourselves as pearls? Do we embrace our new identity, not just as God's children? I mean, if that, if that was all, that would be enough. That would be so much more than enough. But we're not only God's children, we're the, we're the bride-to-be of His only begotten Son. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we will do, but because of what he did. We are right now of infinite worth. You see, it, it, it doesn't not work, right? Let's keep going. Verse 11. The heart of our husband safely trusts us, so he'll have no lack of gain. Let's say we have decided to follow Jesus. We've decided to be the wife who cooperates fully with her husband's plans the way that we read here. What does that mean? That means that our plans are his plans. And that his gain, his fame, are our only priorities. That, that's, that's God's call on our life, right? Easter weekend, we had young men and women from 10th Hour Project here. This weekend, they've, they've been making their way across the U.S. serving at churches like ours. This weekend, they left half of the team for Peru, half of the team for Uganda. Left everything. Friends, family, school, career, they left everything to serve the Lord. And they didn't know where they were going when they signed up. They, they didn't get a vote, Uganda or Peru. They were told, hey, this is where you're going, this is who you're going with. And I, and I get that it's easier to do that when you're 18, 19, 20 years old and single. But the call on our life is exactly the same. Are we willing to subordinate everything for the fame of our husband? Is, is our focus, verse 12, to do good and not evil all the days of our lives, to cooperate with God's plan and not resist them, 
To not say, I'll follow God if, I'll follow God when, I'll follow God as long as. No, to follow God. Knowing that when we do, our king gains because the kingdom of God gains. When we cooperate with God's plans, we're an asset. The kingdom gains souls. God gains glory. When? When we decide to make his priorities our priorities. When we decide to make his plans our plans. We'll keep going. She seeks wool and flax, willingly works with her hands. We saw a moment ago how wool and flax might point us to the marriage covenant. But even beyond that, wool and flax are interesting put side by side. Because in Deuteronomy, God says, don't put them side by side. Deuteronomy 22.11, God says, don't mix wool and linen, the fabric that we get from flax, don't mix them in the same garment which is part of God's bigger exhortation to Israel, right? Be separated from the world. And he gives them all kinds of instruction having to do with separating two things. Separate milk and meat. Separate clean and unclean. Separate different kinds of crops. Don't plant them next to each other. Be separate from the world was God's instruction to Israel. And on the one hand, it's, it, that's God's instruction to us, right? Be in the world but not of the world. Paul, for the last several weeks, has been telling us every Sunday what? Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God's calling us out of the world and and telling us don't use the world's methods. I'm a little hyped on it because yesterday I got an invitation to a beer and bourbon fellowship. (laughs) No. (laughs) On the other hand, on the other hand, God told Peter in Acts 10, don't get all hung up on clean and unclean anymore because it's a different dispensation. By extension, God told Peter, it's okay to work with wool and linen together. Why? It's no longer about external stuff. It's no longer about customs and rituals and observances that mark us as belonging to God. It's God the Holy Spirit sealing us. It's God the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It's God's love pouring out of us that marks us as belonging to God. So today, rather than fearing the world... We get to go out into the world and and get our hands dirty like the Proverbs 31 woman. We go out into the world and seek out the unclean and embrace them with the love of Jesus and let them know how they can become clean through the shedding of his blood. Question, how much time do we spend with unbelievers? How comfortable do we allow ourselves to get in a Christian bubble? insulated, isolated from the world. The Proverbs 31 woman is virtuous. One reason she's virtuous, she gets her hands dirty. Verse 14, she's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. We can come at this a bunch of different ways. We can look at it in terms of distance. She's she's willing to go to Uganda or Peru or wherever God calls her. She's willing to go to Ark City. Uh, Pastor Rob, in in, in doing announcements, that, that... Outreach in the park in Ark City on May the 27th, that, that's actually counter-programming some other things that are going on in Ark City that weekend. So this is a bunch of churches coming together to just declare the love of Jesus to the community. Are we willing to schlep an hour to do that? We can also look at this as, in terms of quality. What lengths is she willing to go to to give her husband the very best? Do we do the things, everything that Jesus did, he did perfectly. Do we at least seek to do the things that he calls us to do with excellence? 
Do we embrace Paul's admonition? Whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. Do we do things and say, God, this is worship unto you? Or do we do things and say, this is good enough? No one's going to notice. No one's going to know. It's not going to really matter. And if anybody cares, well, they shouldn't. What, what difference does it make if the toilets are clean? They're just going to get dirty again. There's another way to look at verse 14. I said a bunch of different angles. Here's the third one. We can look at verse 14 in terms of food. She brings her food from afar. Now, we've got to combine a couple different things here. What's our food? What should be our food? Well, Jesus is our example always in all things. What was his food when he tabernacled among us? John 4.34, his food, Jesus says, my meat, in other translations, is to do the will of the Father. Is that likewise our food? Is, is that what sustains us? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's oxygen at the very bottom, right above that is water, right above that is food. We're talking foundational stuff. Is that what we build on? Is that what we grow from? Continuing his ministry, finish, finishing his work. Or are we trying to live on junk food? Are we trying to live on lesser things? habits, hobbies, preoccupations that cannot fortify us, cannot sustain us? Do we make his food our priority? Verse 15, she also rises while it's yet night, provides food for her household, a portion for her maidservants. See, see that can keep us going right down the road of spiritual food. In verse 15, it leads us to an obvious question. Are we rising early to feast on the word of God? She's, she's, she's feeding her household. Are we feeding ourselves so that we can feed our household, our family, our friends, our circles of influence? Are we rising early to put on our own masks before assisting others? And early, don't, I, I, don't get legalistic about that. A lot of people say, yeah, I do get up early. Lots of great Christian men and women throughout history have made it their habit to rise and greet the Lord early in the morning because the day never gets less busy because there are never fewer distractions than first thing in the morning. But I've known a lot of men and women who found their, their, their best devotional time, their best time to meet the Lord was in the middle of the day. Pastor, Pastor Ed, you met him a few, last year, last year he was here, just, just, just recently. He does his devos in the middle of the day. And he, as, as long as I've known him, that's been his custom. He's not a morning guy. He says, I want to give God my best, and it's not early. <laughs> I think the broader point in verse 15 is, is, is whatever works, are you working it? Whatever works, are you letting it work? Do we expect time with God to just happen? Or do we intentionally set, a, a set aside time for it, appoint time for it, sacrifice time for it the way we do other things that are important? Are we willing to sacrifice watching and gaming and working out or whatever in order to get time, in order to protect time with God and to help those around us then be fed from what we've learned, from what we've gleaned? How much, how much time do I need to set aside? This is between you and the Lord. I'll tell you that the slowest reader in this room, 30 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible in a year. That's the slowest reader in this room. That's also the speed at which, if you prefer to listen to the Word of God on an app or on a website, 30 minutes a day will take you through the Bible in a year. That said, I don't know that finishing is, is our goal. Reading the Bible in the year is a great spiritual discipline. But in terms of devotional time, I don't think it's so much about length. What's the, what's the idiom here? It's food. Have I been fed? Am I satisfied? 
Has God met the needs of my soul for this day? It, we know when that, when that has happened, right? Verse 16, she considers the field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. This is interesting because, because it takes us to another kingdom parable. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13, 44, in the parable, the field is the world. Jesus is the one who sold all he had to purchase the salvation of the world. For the joy set before him, for the joy over it, he goes, we read in Matthew 13, 44. For the joy set before him, we read in Hebrews, he endured the cross. But, but here, Proverbs 31, 16, it's the wife who's buying the field. So how does this work? Is our metaphor breaking down? I don't think so. Because it starts off by saying, from her prophets, she plants a vineyard. Where do our prophets come from? From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. Where do our prophets stem from? Why should I gain? Why should I profit from his reward? Our profit comes from Jesus. Everything we have comes from Jesus. We've profited. All of us have profited from his sacrifice, right? What do we do with that? How do we reinvest it? Again, application, not interpretation, but I read in verse 16 a question. Am I following Christ's example? Am I planting? Am I watering? Am I investing in other people's lives? Am I helping Jesus make the most of this field that he purchased? Am I laying down my life to make disciples? Am I laying down my life that others might know him and grow in him? And are we being thoughtful and prayerful about who and how and when? Verse 16, she considers a field before she buys it. She just doesn't jump at something willy-nilly. Do we consider a ministry? Do we ponder a relationship? Do we pray about an opportunity before we dive headlong? Before we sow our life into it? Need is a poor compass by which to navigate our Christian lives. Need is a poor compass. Why? Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. There's need all around us. What's a better compass? Prayer. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. Guiding us to the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because if I just jump at a need, any need, pick a need, any need, I might be walking in somebody else's work. They might be standing on the sidelines. And no one is walking in my work. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Gird has two meanings. One is she wraps herself in things that build up. And it also, she, she cinches up anything that might trip her. Ever have a piece of furniture in your bedroom or in your living room and you just keep stubbing your toe on it? It's just a toe magnet. I, I have this habit of putting things where I trip over them and then leaving them there until my wife with wisdom from the Lord, says, if you keep kicking it, maybe you want to move it. No, 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 I'll just stop kicking it. Yeah, if, because that works. But verse 17, what is this Proverbs 31 woman, what is this Proverbs 31 church doing, moving the things that it trips over? If you trip over the game council, give it away. If you trip over the internet, lock it down. If you trip over being up late at night, change shifts. If you trip over old relationships, lose the phone number, lose the photographs. 
Don't keep telling yourself you're not going to trip the next time. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp doesn't go out by night. Now this is cool because we, we read in Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. We read in the Gospels, don't set your lamp under a bushel. What happens when we put them together? Jesus came into the world to be light. You and I have discovered that light. And we've said, oh, that's good. And Jesus says, I know. Now take it and carry it into the world. Because the light is the light of life. The light is the light of hope. The light of, is the light of the gospel. And when people follow it, they follow it to me. For the Proverbs 31 woman, now keeping the candle lit meant profit. Staying up late and making more merchandise, pushing the darkness away. For you and I, it's profit too. Because as we labor and sacrifice to carry the light into the world, the kingdom profits, the kingdom gains souls. Directly as we share our faith, indirectly as we make disciples. Is that the only place in the scripture those two thoughts are linked together? Not remotely. Revelation 2, Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. He takes these two ideas, taste and see that the Lord is good, Jesus is the light of the world, puts them together. He says to Ephesus, return to your first love, right? Keep tasting, keep seeing, keep showing yourself that God is good, or I'll remove your lampstand. Keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, or you'll lose the opportunity to be light bearers. Shows up again in Revelation 18, but we're going to keep going. Today we have the opportunity and the privilege to be light bearers, to carry the light of Jesus into the world. That opportunity doesn't last forever. One day Jesus will return and remove his church. But even before that, if we're not faithful with the light he's given us, he might remove our ministry even before he removes the church bodily. So verse 19 the Proverbs 30 woman keeps on keeps keeping on. Stretches on her hands to the distaff. Her hand holds the spindle. She's stretching, she's reaching, she's grasping, she's holding tight to the ministry God has called her to. She didn't need to work. You get this from the passage, right? She's already wealthy. We don't need to serve to be saved. We're already saved. We're not going to get more saved. It's our privilege to serve. Do we see it that way? Is ministry a get to or a got to? She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. And man, that's a challenge in our day and age. It's a challenge as the church to serve the poor. It's so easy to get hardened, isn't it? A couple of weeks ago, I was driving home and I, and I stopped at an intersection. There was a guy with a sign. Got laid off today. Nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat. And, and I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. I said, you got laid off today? Where, are you work, where were you working? And he, and he had a story, and, and I gave him a couple bucks, and, and then the light changed. Well, a couple weeks later, I see him at the same intersection with the same sign. I said, you got a job, and then you lost it. And, and he said, no, it's just a good rap, man. <laughs> like, okay, respect for, for being honest. <laughs> but people are willing to take advantage, and, that, and that's just a fact. Here's a question. Are we willing to let them? pastor friend laid this on me a month ago, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. He said, hey, you know how in our judicial system we say it's better, than 10, better that 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man be incarcerated? He said, are we willing to let 10 people take advantage of us? Are we willing to help 10 people who don't need it so we don't overlook the one who really does? 
Man, that, that sits heavy, right? Because Jesus, Jesus never rebukes anyone for loving too much. Does he call us to be discerning? Does he call us to be good stewards? Yeah. But would Jesus rather we err by loving someone who doesn't really need it or, or be so paranoid that we look over the one who really does? I know that when we love people, we're loving Jesus. So are we loving Jesus by loving people, by helping the poor, the poor generally and the poor, the, the needy in our lives? She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Doesn't snow in Kansas a lot, but not never. I think once last winter, we got a whole shed full of salt and a snowblower that we used once, but we were ready. Storms of life don't come continually. Some we prepare for, some we can't prepare for. And, it, and it's easy to get paranoid and, and spend all of our time preparing for what might happen and what if this happens and this happens, what if this happens and then this. How, how do we prepare at the end of the day? I like the mistranslation of verse 21. We prepare by being clothed in scarlet, don't we? Do we remember that ultimately our protection, our hope, our only real defense is in the blood of Jesus Christ? And are we making sure that the people in our lives and in our household specifically, are we making sure that they know that? Are we telling them what Paul has been telling us every Sunday to put on the mind of Christ? Don't be conformed, be transformed. Ephesians 6, put on the spiritual armor, put it on before you're in battle. Because if we're not walking in the Spirit... When temptation presents itself, when conflict or confusion rises up, if we're not already walking in the Spirit, we're not likely to pick that particular moment of time to suddenly put on the mind of Christ. However we are, when, when we find ourselves in battle, will be how we battle. Do we put our spiritual armor on first thing, as a habit, as a routine, knowing that this world is a battle, knowing that we're behind enemy lines? Are we making sure people in our lives know that Jesus never promises to keep us from battle? He promises to be with us in battle. He promises to strengthen us in battle. He promises to win the battle. And he promises eternity on the other side of the battle. So we don't need to be afraid. We have something that no one and nothing can take away. When we go out into the storms of this life, are we going out wearing scarlet? Are we going out cloaked in Christ's righteousness? Knowing the worst thing this world can do is kill us. And that's not bad. Why do we want to hang on to this life? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do we know that? Do we cling to that? Do we remind others of that? She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Here's another place you might say, Patrick, you just wasted half an hour of my life because the whole metaphor just broke down. We don't make our, our, our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus purchases our salvation. She's making tapestry for herself. It doesn't work, Patrick. Okay, I, I think that that actually makes it work better. Yeah, Jesus clothes us in purple. We're adopted into the royal family because of his blood. We're children of the king. We're joint heirs with Christ because of what he did. No other way. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. To tell us die. It's finished. He paid for it. But 
All of that said, linen. Linen is something we make for ourselves. Revelation 19.8, again, to her, to us, to the bride of Christ, it was granted to be arrayed, to be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. See, our engagement ring is the cross. Our wedding dress, the, the, the garments we wear to our wedding, is what we do after the cross. The righteous acts that we perform, the ministry that we do while we're engaged. Done a lot of premarital over the last dozen years. And I've watched a lot of brides with catalogs and websites, and they go to shows and convention centers and shopping for the dress. Got to pick out the dress. Got to say yes to the dress. And then after the dress, no, it's not done. There's accessories and, and there's fitting. And the, the price of a fitting? That's a good thing my daughter's going to be single for the rest of her life. <laughs> How are we doing, in Jesus' name, amen. How are we doing, though? <laughs> How are we doing picking out our dress? Are we shopping? Are we working? Are we sacrificing? Are we spending? Are we making choices for our dress? For the righteous acts that we'll be clothed with at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are we making choices that make Jesus famous? Are we making choices that continue his ministry to seek the lost that they might be saved? Are we making choices that glorify him? Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The world wakes up every day, many of them not knowing the name Jesus. Others asking, why do I care about the name Jesus? Why is his name higher than any other name? Why should I esteem the God of the Bible above all the other gods? Are we helping them answer that question? I biffed hard last week with that. was buying a used car, was going to finance part of it. I was pre-qualified. I was feeling pretty good about the interest rate. I was feeling pretty good in general. I'm sitting there, and he's doing the credit application. He says, occupation. I said, pastor. And if you want to talk about Jesus, I'm ready. I'd be quite interested in talking to you about Jesus. I am, after all, a Jesus fellow. 90 seconds later, he pops up with the interest rate, which was not the interest rate that I was promised when I pre-qualified. Bait meets switch. And I let him know how not delighted I was. It's possible that I was not walking in the spirit at that moment. That's not true. I was not walking in the spirit at that moment. <laughs> I, went, I went back and, 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 and made it up to him, and, and it, it, it was good. But I, man, I shouldn't have had to. I shouldn't have had to. I already introduced myself as a Jesus guy, and not 90 seconds later, I'm, I'm, I'm acting in a way that Jesus would be ashamed of. Husband is known by the conduct of his wife. Jesus is known by what our lives tell people about him. Let's, let's wrap this up. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes. We mentioned earlier this likely means she's trading abroad. In fact, there's some manuscripts that say, oh, she was selling to Basra and she was selling to the Canaanites. They're not the best manuscripts, but there's at least a suggestion that she's trading with people outside her immediate tribe, even with Israel's traditional enemies. Are we willing to go be Jesus, to go interact, to, to, to have commerce with 
People who don't know Jesus. People who don't like Jesus. People from different parties, political parties. People with different values, different ideas about gender and every other thing. It's one thing to come together here and say, isn't Jesus great? And we all say to each other, Jesus is great! Because he is. Isn't the gospel amazing? Don't you love the cross? And we say, oh yeah, it is. Because that's the politically correct answer here. But are we willing to talk about how great Jesus is and how amazing the gospel is when there's a really good chance that the response we're going to get is, I don't care, and I don't want to hear about it, and if you bring it up again, I'm going to punch you. Where aren't we sharing the gospel right now? And what's holding us back? Are we not willing to talk to the enemies of the gospel? I mean, if we're getting it right, strength and honor are our clothing, and we'll rejoice in time to come. If we're obeying God, if we're speaking the truth in love, we're not going to be embarrassed by anything we do. When we walk away from God's call in our life and God's power in our life, we're going to be embarrassed by all kinds of stuff. I've been embarrassed many, many times, but never when I'm walking in the Spirit. We'll never be embarrassed for those times that in the Spirit we tell people about Jesus, those times in the Spirit we tell people they need to know Jesus and how they can know Jesus, we'll never be embarrassed by the times walking in the Spirit that we love people like Jesus. Yeah, we want to be thoughtful and prayerful about how we do it, but Paul says, speak the truth in love. Love is the what, uh, truth is the what, love is the how. That's what verse 26 is getting at. She opens her mouth with wisdom on her tongue is the law of kindness. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Do we embrace the both and? Speak the truth in love. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She doesn't need to work for bread. She works because she has bread. You and I don't need to work for salvation. We have the bread of life. We have living water. But we work. Not, not because we're saved by good works. We're saved for good works. And notice she watches over the ways of her household that, that they remember that and value that. If we're wise, we'll watch over each other. We'll remind each other. Hey, make Jesus your lifestyle. This, this world is all about inertia. Object of rest tends to stay at rest. We know how to rest. And we know how to stay sitting long after rest is over. Community means that we watch over each other. Community means we are our brother's keeper. My pastor used to roll up on me and say, what on earth are you doing for Christ's sake? The first time he said it, I was scandalized. You're a pastor, you can't talk like that. Which is what he was going for. He was asking me, what on this earth are you doing for the sake of Jesus Christ? And it's a question we get to ask each other. It's a question we're called to ask each other. Not so people look at us and say, oh, how holy are you? What an awesome servant of, of God are you? Notice the Proverbs 31 woman doesn't call attention to herself. She leaves it to others to praise her. If we're like that, what does that mean? It means we remember the Holy Spirit never calls attention to himself. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. You and I, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and anointed by the Holy Spirit, don't call attention to ourselves. We point to Jesus. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Are we living, are we choosing, are we prioritized in pursuing the praise of our bridegroom? Are we, are we setting aside the praise of man and living to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? What else would we live for? Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, 10 out of 10 people die. 
This life is an introduction. It's a warm-up. It's a preliminary. It's an audition. Real life is waiting. This is betrothal. This is engagement. Remember your engagement. It was an exercise in frustration, right? Because it was all about preparation, and you just couldn't wait until... Solomon said there's nothing in this. I think that Solomon wrote Proverbs 31. Others disagree. I think Lemuel was a pen name. But regardless, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. And he used all of his wealth and all of his resources to look everywhere for for fulfillment. And he came to the conclusion there isn't any in this life. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity apart from God. Here at the end of Proverbs, we read the same thing. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Who's going to be doing the praising? Jesus, praising us for what? Giving him first place. Using our engagement well. Using our engagement to honor him. Using our engagement to get ready for the eternity that we're going to spend with him. Jesus saved us, family. We praise him every day for his love. We praise him every day for our salvation. One day he's going to praise us for what we've done with so great a salvation. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. What gates? Gates of heaven, where we'll be honored for our works, the things done for God's glory, in God's power, through God's spirit, in his name, as his bride. We will be praised in the gates of heaven. Something to think about, guys, this Mother's Day. This Mother's Day, you look at your wife, your mom, you remember your mom. You say, wow, there was a Proverbs 31 woman. Think about what it is that the Proverbs 31 women in your life model for us. I think they're teaching us how to be the bride of Christ. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. Even, even in application, such richness, such challenge, such depth. And always, everywhere we turn, every page that we read, every passage we ponder, we see Jesus. Jesus loving us, Jesus coming after us, Jesus reviving us and restoring us, Jesus forgiving us, Jesus overflowing us with grace. Father, continue to teach us Jesus. Continue to teach us love. Continue to refine us and sanctify us. Continue preparing us to be your bride.